wilderness until all that generation died out. And now he's approaching the Jordan River and they've come within the uh, confines of the Jordan River and they're getting ready to cross over into the promised land. Now, to me, that's a beautiful picture of what we're facing here. God has done some marvelous things to help us through very difficult hours in our church. But what happens in the coming year perhaps could be the most important year in the history of our church. And it has a lot to do with you and I as individuals that make up the church. The church is not the building. This building could fall down or burn down tomorrow and we would still have a church. The church is an assembly of God's people that have joined together for the purpose of accomplishing the Great Commission and learning the Word of God and, and being able to advance the cause of Christ. So we understand that the church is an important part of God's program. As a matter of fact, Jesus taught us that it is his program for this day. And that's why it's a very important part, ought to be a very important part of our lives. There's nothing on earth that the Lord himself, no other, no other organization the Lord gave himself for, died for except the church. And so when Jesus loves the church that much, it's important that you and I also love the church and, and give ourselves to accomplish the work he's given us to do. Well, here we are at the end of 2019, looking ahead to 2020. And it, it's an exciting thing always to end up and start fresh and go into a new area. And I think it was probably a little bit that way in Joshua's life. After all, he had been one of the original 12 spies that went into the land and at Moses' command. And they, uh, they, looked, in, they looked all over the land, came back with the reports. Two were faithful, two, ten were discouraged. And so the people got discouraged. So Joshua had to march with that crowd for 40 years as he watched that whole generation die off, Joshua and Caleb. Now he's ready to go in the promised land. I'm sure he's excited. He sends some spies into Jericho. Go check it out. They come back and say, we can take it. It's, it's ours. God's given it to us. So what a marvelous time it was for Joshua and his people. But there was something very important Joshua had to say to his people. And if I don't know about you, but if I had been Joshua, I perhaps would have tried to say something like, uh, fellas, we need to get our act together. We need to get in some training here and learn what we're going to do to defeat these enemies of ours. Or he might have said, now, uh, we, we need to call a prayer meeting because <laughs> this is a bigger job than any of us. That would have been a very spiritual thing to do and probably a good thing, but that's not what he did. What he did is something that I believe is important for you and I to do as we face the new year. As a matter of fact, I think it's the key thing. If we're going to face the new year and go into it, confident of God's blessing upon us as individuals, us as assembly, this is what has to happen. I want to draw your attention, please, if you would, down to verse 5, where Joshua said unto the people, sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. There is a phrase that I want you to focus on this morning, sanctify yourselves. Before I go on, uh, I've got a little bit of a raspiness here, and I don't think it's me. I usually am, but it's not. I think it's in the mic. Maybe you could help me on that, Josh, a little bit. Now, that was a marvelous thing, and I'm going to draw your attention to that this morning. But I want you to take your Bible and go over a couple more chapters, because you know that God did indeed give them Jericho, and it was a marvelous victory and a, a miraculous victory. But then they went against Ai. And in uh, the attack of Ai, some of God's people were killed and the city was not taken the first time. Joshua is very distraught by this because he assumed God was going to be with him in Ai like he was in Jericho. But he finds out that that's not the case. And so we see in verse 6 of chapter 7, 
Joshua rent his clothes and fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord until the eventide, he and the elder of Israel, and put dust upon their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou at all brought this people over Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Would to God we had been content and dwelt on the other side, Jordan. Now Joshua's in a complaining mode. And so he said, O Lord, what shall I say? Verse 8, When Israel turneth their backs before their enemies, for the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it, shall environ us around and cut off our name from the earth. And what wilt thou do unto thy great name? And the Lord is now going to instruct Joshua concerning the, uh, the way the problem was not him. It wasn't the Lord failed to do what he said he'd do, but there was sin in the camp. In verse 11, Israel hath sinned. They have transgressed my covenant. Okay, now there's this key. We have a problem in the camp. Sin was in the camp. What's the Lord's answer to that? Look at verse 13. Up, sanctify the people and say, sanctify yourselves against tomorrow. For thus saith the Lord, there is an accursed thing in the midst of thee, O Israel. Thou canst not stand before thine enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. Back to chapter 3. Joshua said to the people, verse 5, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Back to verse chapter 7. God says to Joshua, Up, sanctify the people, and say, Sanctify yourselves against tomorrow. It seems to me that that theme carries through a number of places in the Word of God. We find it twice in the book of Leviticus, when God gives the law to his people. He, he tells you, you're going to be a peculiar people. You'll be the apple of mine eye, but you must sanctify yourselves. We find it also, as we uh, see in, in Josiah, before the, the uh, great uh, revival came in his reign, he told the people as they prepared to restore the temple sacrifices, sanctify yourselves. What am I saying? The word sanctify is the word from which we get the word holiness or to make holy. Sanctify is a word that has to do with God's people being unique and you separate from the world around them. It's what draws us together as a people and makes us separate from the world in which we live. God want, God's command for his people as they enter into a new phase, especially a new era of Christian walk, is to sanctify yourself. Now, there's an important principle there that I believe we need to pay attention to this morning. And so I'm going to ask you to give me your attention for a few short moments this morning as I speak on that subject, a necessary preparation for the new year. Would you pray with me, please? Our Father, as we look into the new year, we obviously have no knowledge of what you know about the new year. But Lord, we believe that this word that was given to Joshua is the word that we need to have for our hearts this morning. We cannot expect your blessing, O oh Father, unless we obey your word. And so help us, I pray, to have a heart to listen, an ear to hear, and a heart to obey. And we'll certainly thank you for what you do in this hour Believing, O oh Lord, that your word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It will indeed pierce even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joints and marrow and discern the thoughts and intents of our heart. So, Lord, accomplish your purpose in these few moments we have. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to ask you this question. If that is a command, why is it important? What is the reason for the command? Why does God tell us to sanctify ourselves? Well, I'll tell you there are probably several reasons. I suggest a couple this morning. First of all, because you and I still have our old man that called the flesh the old nature. 
So we, we are indeed affected by what is inside of us, and that old nature tends to draw us away from the Lord. Uh, we talk about a default position in our computers. They always go back to default when they're reset. Well, our default position is to react according to flesh. That's why we get angry when someone cuts us off or impatient when someone doesn't move out of the way or, or, uh, or gets in our way. So we have this old flesh that we have to deal with. I want you to see what the Bible says about that over in the book of Galatians, if you'll turn there very quickly. And I won't ask you to turn to a lot of passages this morning, but this is an important one. Galatians chapter 5, the Bible tells us exactly what the flesh involves. And I want you to understand this is why sanctification is essential. Because even though we're saved, we still have the old nature. We understand that very clearly in the Word of God. The Bible says in verse 19 of chapter 5 of the book of Galatians, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, or wide open. Which are these? And notice what he says. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, or open wickedness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. In other words, the flesh is nothing to be thankful for, nothing to be proud about. It is a very wicked thing. I'm going to say this morning something that may not have occurred to you, but the fact is this. There is not one wicked thing that you and I could not do as a child of God that we would have done or others do in their unsaved condition. The reason for that is because we have flesh. And if we let the flesh rule us and control us, we can do any wicked thing that anybody else can do. That old flesh is certainly a need to be sanctified. But not only because of the nature of our flesh, I must move on to tell you that the nature of our salvation also requires sanctification. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, there are really three tenses to salvation. We understand there's a past tense and there's a present tense and a future tense, all involved in this matter of salvation. By the way, you got all three when you got saved, but there is a progression that needs to take place. The past tense of salvation is this, Romans 10, 13, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're saved this morning, it's because at some time or another, you were made aware of the fact that you were a sinner and could not make it to heaven on your, set, on your own. And we're told that Jesus Christ is the only way for anyone to go to heaven. And you, by faith, receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your salvation and trusting in him as your savior. That means that one time in the past you were saved. For me, it was way back in 1968. For you, it may have been sooner or later. It doesn't matter. The point is there had to be a time. There has to be a time when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Don't say this morning, well, I've always been saved, or I've always, no, no, nobody always has known Jesus. Now, you may have come to know Jesus at a very young age, and you don't remember exactly when it was when you first put your trust in Christ. I understand that. But we are born sinners, and there has to be a time in our life when we receive the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. That's the past. But now we have a present tense of salvation, and that's found in Romans 5 and verse 10. The Bible says in that verse, if when we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. That's past tense. Much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. In other words, our salvation is continuing because the life of Jesus lives in us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Uh, that's the key of this growth in grace. You, you and I in ourselves are... Uh, like Paul said, the things I would do, I don't do, I can't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do. And, all. and so he's frustrated in Romans 7 about all the frustrations that he faces in life. 
But he says, what's the answer to this? He says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ can give us victory every day in every circumstance in our life because he lives in us. And if we yield to him, he's able to live his life through us. He's able to love others through us. He's able to give victory through us. But it's Christ in you. That's the key. That's the key to the present tense of salvation. And that's a little bit um, sometimes confusing. Well, how come if Christ lives in me, I'm not super spiritual? Well, because this is a progressive part of our life. We're, autumn, we're born into the family of God by the new birth. But just like a new baby, we have to learn to walk. We have to learn to talk. We have to learn how to act and, and all the rest. God teaches us daily through his word if we yield to him. So there's a past tense of salvation. There's a present tense. But there's also future tense given to us, I think, in Romans 5, 9. In Romans 5, 9, the Bible says, Much more than being now justified by his blood, that's the past, we shall be saved, that's the future, from wrath through him. I'm, looking, I'm thankful for that. Brethren, I'm not looking for the undertaker. He may, I may have an appointment with him. It reminds me of the fellow that always, undertaker always signed his letters, eventually yours. And it may be that I will be eventually his. But the fact is, I'm looking for the undertaker because Jesus is coming again. But it doesn't matter to me. Either way, I'm going to be with the Lord. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Why? Because that's a future tense of salvation. And the Bible says we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Oh, that'll be a wonderful day. No more flesh, no more sin, no more devil to, to, to affect us. And that day is coming. And by the way, that's all part of salvation. Past, the present, the future. You got that when you received Jesus. Now we're still in the present tense, still working out our salvation. Well, the Bible says with fear and trembling. So we have two reasons already that we need to be sanctified. The first one is that we have this flesh, this old man that just doesn't like church. It doesn't like prayer. It doesn't like Bible. It doesn't like living for Jesus. It doesn't like any of that. That old man's still part of us. But secondly, we have the matter of salvation, the nature of salvation. If we automatically could be perfectly right in everything we do, the moment we got saved, wouldn't that be wonderful? But, but that's not the way God planned it. God planned it that you and I who first trusted or trust in Christ, we have this wonderful privilege to make decisions daily as to whether we'll honor him or whether we'll dishonor him with our lives. Just like your children. Your children, as they grow up, they have uh, been taught certain right things and wrong things, and they will make a choice sometime in their life whether they're going to do what you tell them to do or not. And whether they obey you and honor you will be their choice, or whether they disobey you and dishonor you will be their choice, but ultimately it's a choice that everybody makes. And, and that's the same way it is with our Christian walk. We will decide as we, every day that we live, but certainly as we stop and think about our lives and enter into a new year, whether we're going to honor him or whether we're not going to honor him. All right, so we have this nature of salvation. The, the third thing, and it follows that, and that is because of the nature of growth. When I got saved, I thought, well, here I am. I'm a new Christian, but I'm just going to grow like this until I get to be like Jesus. <laughs> but I found out the Christian walk is not quite that way. I found the Christian walk is I make growth as I take steps of faith, but then I have struggle a little bit, and I go back a little bit, and then I decide, well, this isn't the way I want to go. I go forward. It's a little bit like when I first got saved and preachers would challenge me, you need to read your Bible every day. They say you really aren't going to grow as a Christian unless you read your Bible every day and get in the Word of God daily. And I think I believe that's true today. But I, want, I wanted to do that. And so I'd start out 
you know, maybe Monday I'd get, I'd sit down and read my Bible, and then Tuesday I would, and then Wednesday I slept in a little bit and woke up a little late for work, and I have to hurry out and, and be there. And I said, well, I'll read my Bible later, and it got to be nighttime, and I was tired, and I'd go to bed, and I'd go in all day long without reading the Bible one time. And that would happen sometimes, sometimes months, and sometimes weeks. And then I'd say, oh, I've got to get right with this thing. And that was my Christian life. And then I'd get started again and start making progress. And, and then I'd str struggle and, and go far. And that's the way it is in our Christian life. I don't know where you are this morning, but I find myself constantly in need of being drawn back to the Lord and, and coming back to a place of, of yieldedness to him and saying, Lord, I'm sorry. I, I want so much for you to, to have your will in my life. I want to have that first love that I had the, when I got saved and that desire that just, just doesn't matter what others do. I just want to please you, Lord. Uh, that's what I want, but I have to keep coming back to that because I sometimes get away from that. So the nature of growth, uh, it's a good thing to understand this, that sanctification, according to Leviticus chapter 20, if you have your place in Joshua, let me just go back a couple books to the book of Leviticus. I want you to see this, if you would. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, you'll recognize it as being very near the front of your Bible. But here's an important principle about how God allows us to sanctify ourselves, how God does this. First of all, in Leviticus chapter 20, God is telling his people, you're going to be different. You're not going to do the things that the world around you has done. And so he says in verse 7, Sanctify yourselves, therefore, and be ye holy. For in that verse, then, God identifies or defines what sanctification is. It's being holy. Then he says, for I am the Lord your God. And so people are saying, well, how can we ever be holy God says in the next verse, you shall keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord which sanctify you. Now, that's a wonderful comfort to me. In other words, if I will set out to do what the Lord tells me to do, he'll take care of my sanctification for me. I'll sanctify you, he says. So it's done by the Lord. But I remind you also that there are others involved in that. And I'm referring back to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Maybe for time's sake, I won't have you turn there. But let me remind you what the Bible says in that passage. In Ephesians 4.11, the Bible says he gave, God gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. When you talk about perfecting saints, we're talking about sanctification. Now, what's he saying? God says, I have put gifted people in my pl in place in front of you to help you in the, along the lines of sanctification. Now, I would tell you that I'm not trying to toot my own horn today, but God did call me to that purpose. He called me to preach and teach the word of God. I have no other purpose here other than giving you what the Bible says. I don't have a plan. I, don't, I didn't write any books of the Bible myself. I don't have any idea about what's coming tomorrow or how to prepare for eternity, but God has it all right here. And so my purpose is to try to take the word of God and explain it in such a way that will help you to grow in grace. Now, I love to do that. I really do. I've had the privilege of doing it for many years. I'm grateful for the privilege, and I'm excited about the word of God. It's exciting to me because I never have to go back and say, you know, I was wrong about that. If I was preaching the word of God, then it was always right. That's a marvelous thing. The weatherman can't say that, but I can say that if God, if I just preach what the Bible says. All right, so that's a blessing for me. But here's the point. If I'm going to do my job, it's required that you do your job. 
You say, what's my job? Well, uh, it's the same it is if, if you fix a big Christmas dinner and you invite your family and nobody shows up. Well, you, you, the food can be beautifully done and nicely done, but if nobody's there to eat it, what good is it? And I can spend my hours, and I love to spend in the Word of God to get it in a place where it can be handed out and, and helped. But if you don't show up, it doesn't do you any good. You understand that? you got to get to church. Is that simple enough? So if we're going to sanctify ourselves, we've got to take advantage of the opportunities God has given to us. And the church was God's plan. And God intended for you and I to gather together, to encourage each other, to help each other, and to edify each other. And he's put certain people, Sunday school teachers, for instance. They're, not, they're doing that very thing. God gave them the ability to do that. So the children and the adults and the teens and others being taught the word of God. And then we gather together and I have the opportunity to do the same thing. And then we get together tonight and we do the same thing. And we get together on Wednesday and we do the same. What we're doing is trying to get ourselves in a place where God can use us. Sanctify yourselves, he said. How do I do that, Lord? Well, just do what I tell you to do. And that will help you. I'll, I'll sanctify you. All right, so that's pretty simple. But he says, first of all, because of the nature of our flesh and because of the nature of our salvation, because of the nature of growth, we need to be sanctified. So it's done by the Lord, developed through our ministry of others, but it's also dependent upon our own decisions. <clears throat> I decide every day whether I'm going to be spiritual or not. <laughs> I decide whether I'm going to be yielded to the Lord, filled with the Spirit, or whether I'm going to be walking according to the flesh. And by the way, you do too. You do too. We all do. And the decisions you make in your life concerning your spiritual nature, yielding to the Spirit as opposed to yielding to the flesh, all determine whether you are sanctified or, or walk in the flesh, carnal. You have, the, you have the choice. Sanctification is not something held up for just a few, uh, you know, people that, you know, live off in some sort of remote place and just keep themselves. No, sanctification is for every child of God. He said to that whole congregation and before they went across the river, now you sanctify yourselves. God told the people when they lost the, the battle of the Ai, uh, Joshua, tell them to sanctify themselves. We've got to get these things straightened out. We're going to be making some progress. Some things are going to happen here. So the people need to be sanctified. And that's what God is telling us today. 2020 looms in front of us. <laughs> What's going to happen in 2020? I don't know. And you don't either. But I know that God is preparing us Today, by reminding us that the way that we prepare for what we the unknown is to be sanctified, to be right with God in every area of our lives. Just be yielded to him. So what is my responsibility in this whole matter? Well, I suggest four things, and then I'm finished. First of all, I would suggest, first of all, thorough examination. A thorough examination. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, in that great passage on the Lord's Supper, he says, let a man examine him self. It's not up to me or up to you, uh, you to judge me or me to judge you, but I believe we are to judge ourselves. Paul told the Christians, if you would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. <laughs> so that's a good thing. Examine yourself. Examine yourself. In just a few short weeks, I'll have my annual meeting with my doctor. <laughs> what a joy it is. And he checks me, my lungs and my heart, my everything, you know, just checks out. That's what he's done. That's what he does. He examines me to see if there's a problem. And I let him do it. I actually pay him to do it, believe it or not. But how much more important it is for me to examine my spiritual condition. 
because that determines whether I am going to receive the blessing of God or whether I'm going to enter this new year without that blessing. Oh, how I need the blessing of God. We as a church ought to understand that more than anyone else. We understood that for a time we hung by a slim thread, wondering if God was going to preserve this work and how marvelously he has in these last three years or so. I confess that it's not me, it's him. But that doesn't mean he will continue to do so. I have a responsibility before God to be right with him. And we all do as a church. There's no other way to receive the blessings of God unless we're right with him. So the lesson is, first of all, for us to examine ourselves. Where are you today with your walk with the Lord? Are you where the Lord would have you to be? I guess we should ask ourselves. Are you where you once were? Maybe at one time you were closer to the Lord you are now. We need to just examine ourselves. If you look through the churches of the book of Revelation, there was churches there that one time they had a testimony that they lived, but they were dead. <laughs> In other words, their reputation outlasted the reality. And sometimes that happens to Christians too. Well, we once were, but not so much now. May God help us. May God help us to examine ourselves. Do I do what I do because I really love the Lord? Or do I do it because people expect me to do that? Or I'm tr people are watching me? Examine yourself. I have to do that. You have to do that. Secondly, there has to be not only a thorough examination, but an honest evaluation. Let's be honest with ourselves. If we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. That means evaluate. What if the Lord were walking through our church today? Would we hear him say, like he said to Ephesus, uh, boy, you're a busy church. You've got a lot of things going. I, I commend you for that, but I have a problem. Because you've left your first love. You're just going to go through the motions. You really aren't doing it out of love. Or would he talk to us like he did the church at Laodicea and says, I, uh, I would spew you out of my mouth because you're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. But you're poor and wretched and miserable and blind and naked. You don't even realize your condition. Oh, my. What harsh words to the church of Laodicea. The Lord walks among his candlesticks. He knows what goes on in our church. We're not hiding anything. We need to be honest with him. There needs to be a thorough examination and honest evaluation. And I believe if you and I were honest in our evaluation, there would have to be a humble confession. I would understand that in my life. There has to be a humble confession. Lord, after all you've done for me, after all you've done for us, how little, how little have we shown our gratitude? How self-centered have we been in our own thinking? And how little have we really sought to sanctify ourselves? And then I would suggest finally, there must be a sincere determination. <clears throat> I've learned this about my life, and that is most of what I do, I purpose to do. And if I don't purpose to do something, it doesn't get done. Another way of saying that is everybody, everybody does what they want to do. I will tell you this. You'll be, you're as close to the Lord right now, and you'll be as close to the Lord this coming year as you want to be. It's available to us. Draw nigh to me. I will draw nigh to you. That's the promise. So you decide, I decide how close I am to the Lord. 
I remember up in Minnesota, <clears throat> especially right along a, a road between Blooming Prairie and, and uh, Oakland where I lived, a farmer had a field of sunflowers. It's a beautiful thing in the summertime to see this field of sunflowers. Because in the morning, all their heads were all pointed to the east. And as the day went by, those heads would just follow the sun through the sky until finally at the end of the day, they'd be in the west. The next day, they'd be facing the east again. What were they just following the sun? It's a beautiful sight. Maybe you've seen something like that. But a whole field like that is amazing. But really, it's a beautiful picture of the, child, the church that would have God be honored in them. And that is... From the rising of the sun to the setting of the sun, our goal is to follow Christ, have our eyes focused on him. Through our trials, through the difficulties, all the situations of life, we focus on Jesus. And in doing so, we become like him. Because what you love, you will become like. And whom you love, you will become like. So my question for us, I guess, at this hour, is are you... Are we, am I, willing to prepare for what the Lord has for us by sanctifying ourselves as we enter into new year? It's a decision every one of us must make. It will not just be, well, I'll just go on like I've always done. The question is whether we're going to draw near to him. Your nature, your old flesh, is not going to let you stand still. Salvation requires a step forward of progress that's what the present tense of salvation is. And God's, the way we grow is to make decisions that launch us forward in our Christian lives. No decision, no growth. We have to make a decision. Are you willing to prepare? Let's pray, our, pray together. Heavenly Father, would you help us this morning? Lord, would you sober us to realize that really a lot of what you're going to do in and through us is going to depend on decisions we make. 